This week on the According to Sources podcast, the Athena Health saga appears to be drawing to an end, but is it a viable investment? Bloomberg reported that Hill House has dropped out of the running for Yum China, but is the process really over? And lastly, I'll sum up the week for CBS and Viacom and give you one situation I think you should completely avoid. I'm Mike Samuels, founder and portfolio manager of Broom Street Capital, and this is According to Sources for the week of September 16th, 2018. It's crossing the tape right now. Let me explain what's happening here. Breaking news to share with you this morning. M&A related. There's good activism. I think eBay is in that situation. They got a jewel in PayPal. There's bad activism. Unfortunately, JCPenney was a dying company. Examples of activism gone awry. It was not a surprise to me that that deal fell through. This is such a game changer. Hello and welcome to According to Sources, a podcast that devotes its time to the discussion of mergers and acquisitions, activism, event-driven trading, and the sources that cover and surround them all. I'm Mike Samuels of Broom Street Capital. This past week saw one deal come to fruition as IDTI was bought by Renasis for $49 a share, while another deal seemed to fall apart as Bloomberg is now reporting that Hill House is planning on ending its pursuit of Yum China. Now, just a quick timeline review here. On July 26th, the website theinformation.com reported that Hill House was pursuing Yum China, and that spiked shares to over $40. Bloomberg put out a similar story the next day. On August 1st, Yum reported what I would say is a subpar second quarter earnings report, setting shares back under 34. On August 28th, the Wall Street Journal that Hill House had actually bid $46 a share, and Yum had rejected that offer. And on the 29th, Bloomberg reported a story that, in my opinion, went very under the radar. And I'm going to read this verbatim. Quote, Yum China's board sees the company doing well as a publicly traded company and doesn't think a private equity consortium would add much value, according to another person familiar with the matter. The parties remain in contact, the person said. That, again, was Bloomberg on the 29th of August. Now, the part about management not thinking a $46 bid adds much value is the part that I find the most disturbing and just makes me question what is going on here. Because when on September 11th, Bloomberg reported that Hill House was dropping its pursuit in part because recent underperformance doesn't enable them to raise the bid, the stock went to 30. And make no mistake, this is a $30 stock on a standalone basis if you value it like other restaurant companies. If wind of a buyout had never surfaced, and with all the negative headlines swirling around all things China, it's possible it could be under 30. Look through history. Try to find a company with a market cap over, let's say, a billion, that had a bid 50% over standalone value. Just doesn't happen. The only situation that comes to mind, in my opinion, is when Intel first pursued its buyout of Altera in 2015. And just to jog your memory, Altera was trading for about 35 and had rejected a 54 bid from Intel. And the day that David Faber broke the news that Altera had rejected that generous bid, it opened down 12%, under 40. And then it never traded there again. And while no activists officially showed up, clearly unhappy shareholders coerced Altera management to going back to the bargaining table with Intel, eventually resulting in a 54 deal only a few months later. 
I guess I'm trying to drive home just how nonsensical it is for Yum China to reject this bid. If this were an American company, I think a flood of activists would show up to force a deal. Remember, the very reason for Yum China's existence is because Dan Loeb's third point, as well as Corvex, went activists in Yum Brands in 2015, calling for a spin-out of Asian assets. Yum China was created by activism. So would it be so crazy for activists to show up once again and force a sale? The answer to that is I'm just not sure. I mean, what is Yum China? It only trades in the U.S. All of its holders are U.S. funds, but 100% of its business is in China. And to my knowledge, a U.S. activist has never tried to exert influence at a Chinese company. At this point, I still have a bunch of the October 37 half calls in Yumsi that are just too cheap to sell. But I think the play here could be to sell puts in this name going forward. And we might be looking at a situation here where the worse the financials continue to be, the more likely a deal can be. The next name I want to talk about is Athena Health, and the ticker here is ATHN. Now, this is a situation I've been wanting to discuss on the podcast ever since Elliot launched its $160 a share bid in a letter. But I never really found an entry point that made sense to me. But this stock has been very weak lately. In fact, the stock is now down nine days in a row, mostly stemming from two articles. The first one was from the New York Post in early September, and it stated that the bid backed by Elliott and Bain Capital were the, now the lead bidders in the auction for Athena, and that Cerner, C-E-R-N, and United Health UNH, had backed out. And why is this important? Well, in David Einhorn's recent letter to shareholders, he discussed his Athena short, accusing Elliot of having little interest in actually wanting Athena, but rather using the bids as a ploy to flush out a real buyer. The second negative article came on September 12th from Deal Reporter. And Bloomberg summed up the article by stating that the Elliott Bain bid may in fact come below the original 160 and added that the deadline for bids may extend to the end of September. Originally, Deal Reporter had said that it would be the week of September 17th. So clearly investors are starting to freak out a little bit here. What if Einhorn is right? What if the letter from Elliott with a 160 bid was just all a bluff meant to put it, it into play? Well, if we're being totally honest, I think Paul Singer himself would agree on that part. I think he'd ideally sell his stake to UNH at 170 and happily walk away from the entire situation. But I also don't think the bid was a bluff. First of all, Elliott's teamed with Bain Capital, who owns a company called Waystar. And no, I don't mean the media conglomerate from secession. Bain's Waystar is a healthcare tech company that would ideally fit together with Athena. Secondly, Elliott has done this before. In 2017, they went activist in a company called Gigamon. The ticker there was G-I-M-O, eventually bidding for and buying the company outright. So they have a history, although small, of taking a company private on their own. And third, I think it's important to remember that Elliott is a brand. And their brand right now, in terms of activism, is about as strong as it's ever been, or maybe anyone's ever been. There's no company too big for them to take on, and their success rate has made them almost unstoppable 
in terms of getting their demands met by these companies. So, in terms of Athena, Elliot not only went activist, not only made a bid, but they basically pulled a PR firestorm on the CEO and founder Jonathan Bush. They got him removed. And if they don't follow through on this, I think there's going to be real damage to that brand. You know, the next time they try to coerce a company to put itself into play, the company could point to the Athena situation. The next time they try to remove a founder or a CEO, they could point to this Athena situation. So I've taken a small position in the shares at 144.20 earlier this week because I believe at the end of the day, Elliott and Bain will pay 160 for this. I think they actually want to own this company. Elliott has $33 billion under management. They certainly have the cash. And in terms of where it would trade post-deal announcement, and I think the spread will be tight. Gigamon, Elliott's other foray into PE, closed in 60 days. And I don't see why this can't close quickly as well. They've already done all the due diligence on it. And with the stock trading at 144 as of Friday's close, I'm betting the stock will see 156 to 158 in the next two weeks. But again, as a reminder, this is a small position for me as I believe the downside here could be great if Elliott does indeed back off. In this last segment, I want to touch on a few names. First of all, I've gotten a lot of tweets and messages regarding my thoughts on CBS and whether or not I think it's now in play. And by the way, you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is at Accord2Sources, A-C-C-O-R-D-T-O, Sources, or email me at michael at according to sources podcast.com if you have any questions or want something discussed i do try to respond to as many as i can but back to cbs no i i don't think cbs is in play in fact i think cbs is basically going to be doing mop-up duty for the next 18 months not only does cbs have to find a new ceo but it most likely needs to overhaul much of its board and if you want to fully understand just how gross the situation was uh, please read Jim Stewart's September 13th New York Times article entitled Threats and Deception, Why CBS's Board Turned Against Leslie Moonves. It discusses the support that Moonves had on the board and reinforces this boys' club environment that seemed to be in the air over there. Now, here's, a, here's a few quotes. Here's one from William Cohn. And this guy was a former congressman, former senator, and he was the defense secretary under Bill Clinton. And he said in the article, quote, we are going to stay in this meeting until midnight if we have to, until we get an agreement that we stand 100% behind our CEO and there will be no change to his status. Now, there was a, another quote came from a guy named Arnold Copelson. He was another uh, director on the board. He's 83 years old. He was a movie producer. Uh, he, was, he won an Oscar for the movie Platoon, apparently. And his defense was much stronger. He said, quote, I don't care if 30 more women come forward and allege this stuff. Les is our leader, and it wouldn't change my opinion of him. I think clearly Sherry Rudstone will spend the next 18 months not looking for a buyer for CBS, but rather fixing this culture by removing the directors and executives that are responsible for that. We saw Jeff Fager recently removed as well. Also, has anyone brought up the idea of who would buy this company? Because AT&T clearly won't. They already got their hands full. Verizon has publicly stated that their strategy doesn't involve a media network. Charter's too levered. Comcast already owns NBC. They can't buy it. So who's it going to be? And yet the stock rips 10% in two days. 
you know, maybe that was people unwinding a CBS Viacom spread. I don't know. I mean, David Faber, who's probably closer to media M&A more than anyone else, came on CNBC and said he's not hearing anything to that degree. You know, maybe I'm sounding frustrated because, you know, I was short this name when the original Ronan Farrow article came out months ago because I thought the process would be quick. I thought Moonvest would be gone within a week. Now, I'm not the morality police, but, you know, look how this compares to some other situations. I mean, when Bill O'Reilly came under fire, uh, 21 out of 30 advertisers on his show canceled within one week. Now, how many companies pulled ads from CBS? I don't think I heard about one. I mean, if one company, if Pepsi, run by a, a powerful female CEO, had stepped up and said, you know, we're spending, we're suspending ads on CBS until more light is shed on the process, the rest would have followed and he would have been gone. I mean, do you think if Les Moonves worked for Bob Iger at Disney, he would have kept his job long? Bob Iger canceled Roseanne 12 hours after a tweet. So to answer the question of do I think CBS is an imminent takeover target? No, I don't. I think at the end of the day, once this 18-month standstill agreement has passed, Viacom and CBS eventually do get together. Now, quickly on AEL, American Equity Investment Life, which uh, now that IDTI is gone, is my biggest holding. I tweeted out a link to a story from July, which discusses the bidding war for AEL between Athene, which is ticker ATH, and Caldera, which is a PE company. The process has taken a, a small hiccup due to the fact that Caldera is suing Apollo, which owns 45% of the voting rights in ATH. They're making a bunch of claims. Um, again, I've tweeted out the article. I, it's going to explain it way better than I can. I, I do have calls and emails out to these reporters to come on the show and shed a little bit more light on the situation. Uh, again, still long AEL, still like the situation, but perhaps this lawsuit is holding things up a bit. And lastly, one stock I'm avoiding in the M&A space Estherline Technologies, the ticker here is ESL, Eddie, Sam, Larry. The stock closed Friday at $92 a share. It had actually originally spiked from 75 in late July after a story broke in the Wall Street Journal that they were exploring a sale. Now, while some analysts have put takeout prices as high as 100, many others feel the company's worth much less. And in fact, they think that a sale of the whole company doesn't really make sense, that it would make more sense if perhaps a company just bought an individual unit. However, shares did jump nearly $5 on Friday. Deal Reporter had reported that Eaton and Carlisle were circling the name. I don't think the name is worth chasing here at 92. You know, maybe a deal happens, but I just think all the upside has been essentially priced in here, and it's just not something I'm interested in pursuing. So to sum up today, I'm not sure that the Yum China process is done, but for now I'm long calls and plan on selling out of the money puts going forward in the months to come. I have a small position in Athena Health, and I think the process wraps up in the next week or two. I think the stock could reach 156 to 158 on a done deal at 160. CBS, I do not think a sale is imminent. And lastly, I'm avoiding shares of Esterline Technologies. The ticker is ESL. That concludes, according to sources, for the week of September 16th, 2018. Again, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Accord2Sources. That's A-C-C-O-R-D-T-O, Sources. My email is michael at accordingtosourcespodcast.com. If you like the content, please subscribe. Maybe leave a nice review. It'll help me to continue to get great guests on the show. I'm Mike Samuels, founder, portfolio manager of Broom Street Capital, and I'll see you next week.
As a reminder, today's podcast is not investment advice, but is the opinions of, according to sources, Broom Street Capital and Michael Samuels. These parties cannot be held liable for any losses taken as a result of actions based on the ideas presented in this podcast today.